I'm Stig Abel, presenter on the new Times Radio launching next week. I'll be hosting a breakfast show, which means getting up very early. Ugh. And going to bed at an antisocial hour. But here's the thing it won't be antisocial to me because I'm already antisocial. During lockdown, I thought about this. I don't really have any friends. I've got a theory that life's divided into three work, family, and friends, and you can only do two of them well. And I chose the first two. I've got lovely colleagues, a magnificent wife, bewitching children most of the time. So does that mean I'm okay without further companionship? And is this line of thinking a man thing, I wonder? My dad worked hard, spent time at home, and didn't seem to have friends either, whereas my mum still speaks to her friends on the phone for hours at a time. It appears, though, I'm not alone. Almost one in five blokes across the UK say they have no close friends. And also, married men like me are less likely to have mates than single guys. Not coincidentally, perhaps, an inability to talk about problems is seen as a major cause in the mental health problems surrounding men. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. Today, why don't I have any friends? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Nadine, have you noticed that I don't have any friends? I have noticed. I've asked the question, but I know you have, because you've spent the last 15 years of our acquaintance laughing at me for it, haven't you? Well, I wouldn't say 15 years, because at the beginning you did have friends. Oh, did before I? Before we were together. I very much hope that you getting together with me is not the reason for you having no friends. Do you think Although, it, do you think they it do is? Seem to, well, they do seem to possibly have happened at the same time. That's my wife, Nadine. She knows me better than anyone. So we had a chat about why I think I have no friends. You did go out to dinner parties and do all sorts of social things that I slightly sneered at. So why did it change? Well, the truth. Yeah, the truth. The, the truth. truth. Tell me the, the truth. truth. Why did it change? <laughs> you ended a six-year relationship and lost a lot of your friends That's in true. order to get together with me. That is definitely true. <laughs> And also, though, what about my theory, which you've heard before, that there's kind of three things in life. There's, yes. There's family, and you've obviously you and I became family. There's work, and there's friends. And you can't really do all three of them very successfully. And you've chosen family and, and work. work. Does that, do you buy that as an argument? I, I do, but I also have two theories of my own. Go on. The first is that you 
actually are friends with the people you work with, but you won't admit it. Okay. You call them your colleagues. I think from having worked with you for many years... Yeah, we worked together before we we started going out. We did, we did. We were were friends. Yeah, colleagues. Uh, Colleagues. (laughs) And I know that you're very, very nice to work with and it is a friendly environment and you are a friendly person to work with. So do you know I do a lot of my social... get a lot of my social energy that way? I do, I do. And I think you may not invite in... admit it yes but you are friends with your colleagues and I think if you asked your colleagues they would say yes Steve's a really good friend of mine because you do listen to their problems you do socialize at so, work so I do yeah so they become a subset of my work yes and you get your social like you said your energy your social energy or whatever at work yeah. and you therefore don't need to do it in the evenings but we did make a joke so I was turned 40 this year mm-hmm. and we made a lot of in jokes lockdown. about in lockdown so I had no party yeah. But we did make a joke, did we not, that if lockdown had never existed, how many people would have come to my 40th birthday? And it was basically... My mum, your, your mum yeah. and dad, yeah. Dr Zahn. Yes. And now, oh, your children, three children. children. Three children, the cat. The boo, cat. Boo the cat. And that's it. Oh, so we're I struggling, we're struggling. So, so what we're saying is that I... Is it because I was young? Is it because I'm a bloke? Do you think there is a thing about blokes who, for reasons that are either true or not true, kind of see themselves as they've got to work and work's a thing. And, and Not really, because all my girlfriends, all my female friends, have husbands who have really close male what friendships. Are they, what, are they, what do they do? They, they do, I don't know, they, they do middle-class things like golf and God knows. I don't know what they do. Would they call, would they call their friends? Like, for a chat? Yeah, I think they would. That's so weird. Can sure, I tell you my weird. other theory? Yes. Is that you do like to socialise because you would like it if I invited my friends over more. I think what you don't like is the organisation of it. I think you like these things to just spontaneously occur. So, for example, if one of my friends is coming over in the evening, you are really happy about that. Maybe it's also that I like to to think I'm kind of... I don't need it. Yeah. But, in fact, I do. I don't want to admit that to myself. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like how I think I'm a strong, silent type. Yeah, actually, (laughs) you're a strong, chatty type. Yeah. I think it is a male thing also about not being as chatty, not being as talkative. You don't, you don't, you're not I think that's quite old-fashioned. I don't myth. think men... Right. I think that's your dad. Yeah. OK, so the conclusion is... Also, your dad didn't have friends. Yes. I think you look up to him and admire him and think, oh, that's a bit like me, strong, silent type. He actually is the strong, silent type. All right, all right, Dr Freud. <laughs> So I've just spoken to my wife about this issue of whether or not I... Because I feel, I start from the premise that I don't have any or many friends and never have done. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not entirely sure she agrees with that analysis even from the beginning. But there is a sense I feel, for me, and I don't know how common this is, that friendship as you get older and have more responsibility sort of drifts away in importance. I'm not sure if that's true. And I also think that sometimes people who think they don't have friends do and people who do think they have friends don't. Kate Campbell is a psychotherapist who's done plenty of work on relationships and she's a member of the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. Quite often, friendships are predicated on similar interests. You can have a lot of people who all go to the same pub, for instance. They all drink together and they say we're friends because we always do this together. But actually, there's very little in common apart from the partying element. One of the things that Nadine said to me was this idea that I'm sort of friends with the people I work with. Yeah. And I would 
I sound very friendly with them, but there's a very British thing, isn't there, which is we're constantly thinking about now because of the hospitality industry being closed mm. down, the idea of going to the pub and meeting friends. Yes. And I've never really had that. So maybe that's what makes me think that's a, such an integral part of our collective identification of friendship. And I don't particularly have that, that maybe that makes me think I don't have any friends at all. Well, no, equally, there are lots of people who know a lot of people but don't want to get very close to them. And quite often when they have a partner, they're very satisfied with that. That's enough. If they have a family around, they don't need close relationships with other people, but they like being sociable, as your wife said. You like it when her friends come around. There's possibly something like that going on for you, which is fine. How much of this is a gender thing, though? Because we're 10 or 11 weeks into lockdown, or maybe even slightly more now. Is this the thing that you've been speaking to men about? Is there a male issue around this? There is a bit. A lot more men than women seem to feel that they've lost their identity a bit during lockdown because they can't get to their groups. They can't feel part of their thing. If you look at most of the accounts of male friendship, they often revolve around doing something. So they're more likely to say, shall we go and have a beer? Shall we go to the football? Shall we go and see something? Rather than oh, what, should we have a chat? We all know the statistics around male suicide and things like mm. mental health problems for men, which is seen as a specific issue around talking. All the campaigns to try and rectify it are check in on your friends, uh, have a conversation, as if that's somehow not happening because we have to be reminded to have it. There's something performative about the way men behave at the best of times. So there is this kind of expectation that you've got to know everything and that you've, that men have to kind of be in charge of situations. And their relationships are often very bantery. So if that's OK and it makes you feel wanted and cared about when someone's insulting you, that's fine. And that works for a lot of people and that works better than sitting down and talking to them. But for some people, it doesn't work or there's something missing. And the only person that a lot of people feel they can talk to is their close partner. And a lot of men get on better with women anyway, as far as talking is concerned, because they don't feel judged by women, whereas they do feel judged by male friends. I'm not sure I know many men who would pick up a phone and talk to their friend for an hour, but I could probably think of two or three women who'd do that. We're socialised to be like that. I mean, boys have socialised much more than girls to just get on with it, to not have needs, to not have feelings. And so they end up feeling shameful about it. And in some ways, it's not manly. The, the, the true manly ideal is to be so, is to be so, I mean, this is, goes back centuries, to be self-reliant, that mm. idea of being able to sort of handle your business yes. and not needing any other props. Do you think that's changing them? Because we're living in a, in a world where even the idea of sort of male-female binaries are dissolving. Yeah. Some people believe quicker than others, but there's definitely a sense of that. Do you think that younger men are coming to a world that looks a bit different? Well, it's surprising how many aren't, actually. I'm, I'm really? often really surprised by how many people I talk to who could easily be their granddads. But also, of course, <laughs> yes, a lot, a lot more are. All right. So do you think... I have an unhealthy view of the idea of friendship, Kate, if we just analyse um, me for a second. No, no, it doesn't sound to me as though you have an unhealthy idea of it at all. You have an idea of it. You have an idea of what it is. But in a way, why do we all need to think about it so often? It's like being back at school, you know, being five years old and saying, who's your best friend, which boys yeah. don't do as much as girls. But you don't need to do that because I think people slide in and out of friendships due to proximity, due to what's going on in your life. So somebody who might be a really good friend when you're both single becomes a less good friend when one of you 
marries and has kids. And then maybe you get closer again later on. So relationships come and go. But I also feel that I, I think from what you've said also is at some level I would regard having friends as a weakness. There's a kind of sense to me that my model of self-reliance is based on thinking that you don't need other people. You, you need your close family. The kind of family unit is all that yeah. sort of tight cocoon of people and anything beyond that is either in irrelevance or the need of that would be a kind of admission of weakness or of incompleteness. Which is really interesting and again it's something we're probably socialised to believe. There's no reason why we should all be an island and it's very difficult to form close and genuine relationships if you feel that you can't share and if you feel there's something wrong with having feelings and needs and being vulnerable in particular, especially with other men. I think I look at my dad who... Mm. I never associated with having friends when he was working because I just saw him as someone who's either at home or worked. And that for me mm. was probably a model of what a man should be like. And it actually mm. would be in some way remiss of him as the father figure. It's almost frivolous to go out and, and have friendships because there's more important stuff to go on, one of which is working to provide for the family and the other of which is to be there for the family. And if it's not doing those two things as the father you're somehow failing. Is that plausible? I mean, that's how I, I mean, I don't want to project it onto him, but that's how I would think about myself, certainly. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You've probably seen him and you've probably assumed that was how he felt, but he may have been super antisocial or he may have just been too tired to do anything else. It's difficult to know, but we assume all sorts of things about our parents and they do form role models for us. And in fact, our environment all the way through growing up is affecting how we see ourselves and see the world. But it's very easy to make assumptions as a child that stay with you as an adult and you never get any curiosity about them and you never interrogate those ideas they just persist for some people it's very 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 comforting they feel good enough they feel they're people on their side they feel that people have got their back and you feel more safe on your own which is interesting do you think see, I, my things are i don't really want to be part of a squad or a gang or a group i just i'm suspicious of groups your view of friendship may be very different from somebody else's but it sounds as though your wife thinks you've got people that you like to be with who kind of are stimulating or yeah. or just fun and that's okay that's nice and I probably shouldn't kind of subconsciously congratulate myself for a sort of isolation that doesn't exist no and I mean it's interesting some people do definitely feel very ashamed about the idea that they might need to lean on anybody else or, yeah. or to or to have needs at all and I think that's been a particular thing developing during lockdown as well that some people have developed real shame about having needs and feeling lonely or wanting to see people or needing a hug and that sounds a bit as though that's what you're doing it is yeah. completely normal to want to be around other people. I'm going to Call because in order I've been thinking about this, and there is a guy that I have hung out with, and I would just sort of be a bit reluctant to say, Oh, we're friends, but maybe that's just the silliness as well. And also, the sort of it's not a weakness to say you've got friends. Maybe I'm getting a sense of my own ridiculousness here, Kate. It's not ridiculousness, it's just a way of being. Do you guys should just be open with him and just say, This is, is this a no, is this, I'm, I'm kind of interested if it's weird for him. Yeah, I mean, definitely be open about it. And, and if you feel uncomfortable about it, say you do and see what happens. I think it's a wonderful experiment. What could go wrong? All you can do is learn from it. All I could do is make a fool of myself. I don't think so. All right, I'm going to try it. Good luck.
<laughs> Wait, so this is a phone call where it's not, you don't know if I'm your friend and you're definitely not calling for a chat. I decided to call Zand, an acquaintance of mine and the only non-family member my wife said would have come to my 40th birthday. Okay, cool. So so I think you're right. I would never call you just for, for a bit of a bit of a, hey man, how you doing? I'm just catching up. Now, full disclosure here, he had been warned the day before I was going to do this. So the call wasn't completely out of the blue. I'm very interested in this because I, I think like you, I would describe myself as someone with very few friends. But I have a test. I have a hard test for friendship where I would say how you make the short list of my friends. So the test is this. Were you to die, would I miss you? Not would I think it was sad that you died and feel sorry for Nadine and the kids and everything and all all this stuff and it would be be sad. But would I have a moment, some point in the future, and and, uh, really properly for a proper friend, I think many years into the future, where I would think, ah, I'd love to tell Stig about that. Or I wish I could call Stig about this issue. I'd love to show this to Stig somehow. I I wish I could get Stig's take on that. And that, to me, is the thing that my friends give me is some kind of unique thing. Would you say that you you passed that for me? Yes, except for we just said that we wouldn't call each other just for a chat. So, but I would uh, call you. I would call you. No, you're right. But I might ping you a message. We've definitely texted each other and said, "Look at this amazing thing that's just happened. Isn't this funny? If you die tomorrow, I will miss for the rest of my life your book recommendations." And more excitingly than recommendation, because I, I can get that from the paper, that kind of unique thing of phoning you up and going, "Mate, I hated this. It's terrible." Or going, "What do you like about it?" Or yeah. more excitingly, saying, "I loved it." And I feel like if you were to die, I would miss you. But do you feel? Because I've been talking to a psychiatrist analyst for the purpose of this podcast i should clarify and uh do you think there's a kind of male thing where i'm almost trying to sort of wallow in the fact that i don't have any friends because not having friends is a sign of strength and having friends is a sign of weakness and we kind of dramatize that a bit in our heads i think a lot of male friendship is quite I don't need my friends in that way, maybe. I don't just phone for a natter. And we've got a model on the television in a show like, I suppose, Friends being the paradigmatic example. You're meant to have a gang of people who you hang out with regularly, who you just sort of chat and gas with. Yeah, and there's a banter. No, and I don't have that. I don't have, yeah, I don't have mates. A lot of my friendly interactions are one-on-one. It's nice seeing you because your family is also there. So your family dilute our friendly interactions to a point where I can come to your house and not speak to you, which in some ways is quite an ideal form of friendship, isn't it? I also think that some people sort of, they cling to their friends of their past, Mm. their university and... A point that Nadine made to me is because I we used to go out with a girl at university and had a whole friendship hinterland with her and I left her and ended up with my now wife, I sort of jettisoned quite a lot of my historical friendship. And mm. if you don't have that, then once you get into the realm of work, it doesn't feel like you're meeting friends in your 30s or 40s. I don't know how I would go about making a new friends. I, I often feel lonely. I mean, I certainly do feel lonely, but I don't feel lonely for... I don't wish I had more friends. I sort of wish my friends lived nearer or maybe were less involved with their families and things and we could spend a little bit more time together. But in general, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do about getting a new friend. I don't feel like I could just go down to the... How would I go about it? I don't even know. Like join a club or join some sort of activity group and join the neighbourhood book book club. I, I don't know. All of that feels like I might have an interesting interaction, but I'm not sure I'd end up wanting to be 
pals with people. I think it's also I don't accept the cliche of friendship. I don't go and play golf with anyone. I don't go to the pub. I don't go out. You and I have never, we've never gone for a drink or the pub, although we have talked about it. And I have visited your house. You have said outright, explicitly on more than one occasion, that you would never visit my house and that you found the idea of travelling across town to visit me thoroughly boring and you wouldn't do it. I don't think that's fair at all. I'm literally quoting you. No, no. No, but that's the thing. But maybe there's a kind of cliche of friendship that I... it doesn't sound like you possess either. But I don't care. Like, I didn't feel offended by that. I found it really helpful to go, oh, fine, so I'll come over to your house and see you. And it's an exercise. To, it's just me moving across town for me. It's, it's a headache to bring your family and do stuff. That all seems... What's our conclusion here, Sam? I guess I think I would confidently describe us as friends simply because you fill a role in my life that is not replaceable by someone else and I find you being in my life enriches it in some way that I would really sincerely miss and that to me is a friendship I don't think we need to go to the pub that's lovely Zan that's a lovely lovely definition I feel a bit of therapy no no it's good it's good isn't it I I feel actually genuinely therapeutic about it uh, no I feel really happy about it it's very nice it's very flattering when you phoned me yesterday and went can I ask you if you're my friend? I was like, oh, that's a really... It's like a playground thing as well. It's a little bit of a nostalgic conversation. Like, remember when you're five and you sort of go, are you my friend? Am I your friend? So I've just chatted with, with, well, my friend, I would say, Zand, who is a guy I met probably... Mm five years ago he started working he started writing for, for the paper I edit and we sort of met and we became friends and I, I sort of said to him I have this view that I don't have friends and he actually he had a test for friendship see what you make of this that if the person who is your friend or not your friend died would you miss them would it make a sort of quantifiable measurable difference to your life And if that's Mm. the case, then that constitutes a friend. And actually what I felt with the whole process is that maybe I sort of say to myself, I don't have friends, but maybe I do. And and maybe what, talking to him, we were talking about the experience that we're getting older, he's 40, families take over lots of people's lives, there's lots of other pressures on it. And it's easy to say you don't need friends. And maybe that's a sort of pose that men particularly, I'm talking about me really here, strike. But if you're honest with yourself, there are people that, that you value and you'd like and you, that, that you'd miss if they died, that you'd miss being able to text. And I kind of feel that there's a distinction between a sort of, you talked about this bantery gang, a sort of sitcom style view of friendship. And I, mm. don't think that, I don't think I have that and I don't want that. I don't want to go to the pub with five people every Friday. And I don't think I have the time or the inclination to do that. Uh, And I think I probably do spend most of my time either with my family or people I work with. But the bits out of those people, there are are people that you value more and you you like to be talked to. And when you have an idea, you want to share it with. And maybe that's a good definition of friendship. Yeah, that sounds like a, a wonderful definition of friendship. And it sounds as though you are able to talk quite deeply with your friends and not have any trouble doing that. And that was something that you perhaps previously did think. Well, I also just think that there's this, I think there's been a pose I've been striking, the idea that it's somehow not manly or not tough Mm. if you admit that you need people and and your social circle is quite broad and 
Uh, and actually, you do value these conversations that either with my wife, who I do incredibly value, but other people as well. Mm. And maybe that's the thing that, that it's a sort of, I've sort of built up a quite traditional, quite boring, really, this sort of view of the stoic man. Mm. And maybe that's not real. And we always talk about male problems and not being able to reach out and not being able to talk. And I've always been a bit sniffy of that. But maybe there is something there that is not right and it shouldn't be that way. That We easily drift into a stereotype, don't we? Absolutely. And so it sounds as though you've changed your outlook quite a bit. This theory that I've had that there are three things, three areas of life, family, work and friends, and it's very hard to do justice to all three. And in that category, the least important is friends, I think, of those three categories, because, mm. because of how life is structured. I think that's probably still true. But that's not to say that third part doesn't have to exist as well. I guess if you look at it a bit differently, there'd only be two parts. There'd be attachments and there'd be work. <laughs> and yeah. in, in that way, you wouldn't have quite so much to fit in. You'd just think, gosh, I really want to be around people that I want to be around. And that's what work-life balance is. And so it's just the two sides to equal up. Yeah, that's a really good point. But the other thing is, that, do you think that work-life balance is shifting under lockdown? There's... Absolutely no doubt that so many people are talking about this in therapy that they don't want things to go back to the way they were and they can't go back to the way they were. And some people have learned to relax for the first time in ages and they're actually cherishing their relationships now because it's the first time they've had time for them. But it's not real, is it? Well, may maybe this is real. Maybe this is real. And maybe we've just got onto a treadmill that we need to get off a bit. And we did yeah. be because actually things don't need to be as busy and frenetic as they were before that we, we can have more zoom calls we can have fewer flights traveling all over the place it's it should be easier and we can value the things that aren't the straightforward rut of life the, the sort of going to work and worrying about mortgages and things like that although that still is there that's still life isn't it but you've got to somehow make sure you value what else there is Absolutely. I mean, it's sounding as though you've learned quite a lot from this experience calling your friend. It's, things have changed dramatically, really. You know, I've taken advantage of doing a podcast just to have a therapy session with you, Kate. <laughs> I do think there's a, there's a point here, isn't there, that, that we should all think about what matters. And it's easy to also think to... I keep coming to this idea of this pose, this front. You don't think people have a front. I feel like I obviously have sort of built one, maybe. Mm. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's really, really useful to feel that you have a persona that gets you through the day and that some people need that. And I find thinking about this sort of thing is important, isn't it? Because you don't want to just not question how you've got into certain mental states. And I guess your job really is to allow people to question things. Mm, it absolutely is. So is this going to make a big difference to you? Do you think you're going to be more aware of your friends now? I'm not sure I'm going to go out and get more friends. There's lots of people I've met along the way who I still see who I value and in my mind I would not call them friends but for no reason and actually I think value the people including you know starting with my wife who's my best friend value what they bring to me more yes and I think that's what the last 10 weeks has been generally this question of working out what you value working out what's yeah. important to you that's not just a material question but a, but an emotional one were talking to other people what would what would you advise them now other other men and young men it's easy to say that 
oh, macho-ness is dying out and the world's changing. But I've been guilty of a sort of macho ideal of I can handle everything, that you can kind of cope and self-reliance. Mm. And actually admitting you don't cope is such a healthy one in the end. And I think I try and take that advice myself, but it's advice you'd give to people is about admitting when you're not coping and finding people who can respond to you when you're not coping. And they can't solve your problems necessarily, but the idea of constantly pretending that you're coping isn't a healthy alternative either. And I think that probably is. I mean, I'm sure women do this as well. And it's not just a male mm. thing. Yeah. But it might be a, there might be a male aspect to it that is what's worth challenging. So I think the advice I'd give to other people but also have to keep giving to myself because it's easy to relapse isn't it just to ignore it it's not a sort of victory to say that you can do everything on your own it really isn't it really isn't and it's very important to take turns in caring for each other and people mostly just want someone to hear them when they have a problem they don't need it to be fixed which is also another kind of fairly male trait but you just yeah. just listen and say I'm hearing you and people love it You've been listening to a special edition of Stories of Our Times with me, Stig Abel. Thanks to my guests, psychotherapist Kate Campbell, my wife, Nadine, and Zand, my friend. Now I can confidently call him that. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella and music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast... I hope you'll enjoy listening to my breakfast programme with Asma Mir on Times Radio. Join us as we talk to special guests and world-renowned journalists about the key issues to help you discover the day ahead. Listen to our morning show starting next week for free on DAB Radio, your smart speaker online at times.radio and via our Times Radio app. Every Monday to Thursday, 6am to 10am on Times Radio. Know your times. Also, some of my fellow presenters on Times Radio, Asma, John Pienaar, Jenny Kleeman and Luke Jones, have also done special podcasts this week on Stories of Our Times, so please do check those out. They're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.